You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. We are in the fifth and final week of a series that we're calling A New Way to Be Human. And I want to start the message a little bit different today by just simply asking a question. How many of you, by show of hands, that you would say that the world has changed a lot since the year that you were born, okay? Just raise it up real high, wave them at me a little bit, that you would say that the world has changed a lot since you were born. Now, I am 41 years old. Um, I will turn 42 in a few months. And let me tell you, the world has changed a lot since 1981, the year that I was born. And um, in fact, this week I saw something that, that really emphasized that point that the world has changed so much. Um, this week, I, I know that today is a big sports day, it's Super Bowl Sunday, uh, but this week actually had a huge monumental sports moment uh, in basketball. On Tuesday night, LeBron James, he broke the NBA scoring record. And so what that means is for the non-basketball people in the room is that nobody has scored more points in the NBA now than LeBron James. He scored, he passed actually Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record uh, that a lot of people thought would never be broken. Now there is a lot of really fun debate uh, that's out there about who is the GOAT who is the greatest basketball player of all time. And most people uh, historically fall into one of two camps today. Um, There are some people that fall into the, the camp that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And then there's some other people uh, that may fall into the camp, especially now that no, 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 LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. It's all the younger people who did not see Michael Jordan play. Um. Now, here's the deal. We're not gonna debate that topic uh, today, but I do wanna show you two pictures um, because I saw this today. I was like, oh, this is unbelievable how much the world has changed. Now, this first pick, this is Michael Jordan's game-winning shot in game six of the 1998 NBA Finals, which secured his sixth championship, by the way, of six. Um, just saying. And, um, <laughs> and uh, if you've seen the documentary, The Last Dance, it's actually this season. And it's, he hit this shot, then retired for the second time, and then came back, and then retired a third time. But this, this was, and here's what I want you to notice in this picture. I want you to notice not Michael Jordan, not that follow through, not that beautiful separation that he created, but I want you to look at specifically the crowd. I want you to notice that every single person is locked in on what is happening right there in the moment. And like you see some people that are just fully in it. Some people are yelling and screaming. Some people are like, no, and like they're capturing that moment and you see that moment right there. Now, I wanna show you another picture and this is from Tuesday night. This was the shot 
that LeBron James made to be able to break the scoring record. And I want you to notice the crowd. I want you to notice the fact that almost every single person in that picture is holding up their phone. That literally, somehow, the people that are there witnessing history aren't watching it with their own eyes. They are watching it through that little bitty screen. And I saw that and I was like, my goodness, doesn't that show the fact that things have changed so much. I'm telling you, the world has changed so much, whether you're in your 20s or whether you're in your 30s, your 40s or 50s, no matter the age of us in the room, the truth is, is that the world has changed. And the truth is, even statistics are telling us that that is drastically affecting our lives. And that's why we're doing this series, A New Way to Be Human, because the normal life that many of us are living today can best be described right now by professional mental health professionals as a disease of lifestyle. And it's where our lives are full of busyness, where we're always in a hurry and on the go, always maxed out with no margin. And we're living this lifestyle day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And statistics are showing that it's leaving us completely maxed out, that it's showing us exhausted and tired and it's leaving us worn out and stressed out, anxious and even depressed. In other words, this normal, way of life. It's having devastating effects on our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And even on last Easter, we gave a survey out to you saying, if we could do any series, what topic would you want talked about in church? And it was a overwhelming number one response is that people were saying, would you talk and help me with emotional health? Like it's what you're asking for. You're sa- and by the way, the reason why that is there, it's, it's here's what you're really saying. I'm struggling in this area. Will you help me? And the truth is this normal life that many of us are living are producing that type of results. So the truth is we don't need to tweak our life. We need a new way to be human. And here's the good news. That's exactly what Jesus came to bring us. In John 10, 10, he even tells us that I came to bring you a more and better life, like something better than what you've ever experienced before. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, really our theme verse for this series, he invites us here. This is the words of Jesus. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion. By show of hands, have you ever been that way? Have you been tired or worn out or burned out? Then here's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. It's not just sleeping in. It's not just another vacation. There's a real rest found in Jesus. And he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. And here's what Jesus is saying in these verses, guys. 
He's saying that the answer to this disease of lifestyle that many of us are living is found in following Jesus. It's living our everyday life the way that Jesus lived his everyday life. <clears throat> and, in this, and in this scripture that we just read, the key is what is found in verse 29, where in the message paraphrase, I love the invitation that Jesus gives us. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And for the last two weeks, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to learn some of these rhythms that are in Jesus's life that we can implement into our life as we follow Jesus. And two weeks ago, we talked about this rhythm of the quiet place. And we defined it as it's consistent time where you intentionally slow down, quiet your life, and spend quality one-on-one -on -one time with God. That that's something you can implement into your life every single day, and it will transform your life. And then last week, we talked about the rhythm of the Sabbath, which is God's rhythm of setting apart one day a week to stop working, to intentionally rest, delight, and worship. And today, as we finish out this series, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about one more rhythm in Jesus's life. And I've entitled it this, the practicalities of pace. The practicalities of pace. So like last week, if what we talked about was what we do on day seven, the Sabbath, today, I want to talk about what do we do on the other six days. Cool, I know what to do on day seven, but what do I do on days one through six? That's what we're gonna be talking about today with the practicalities of pace. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, if you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. By the way, if you've never read the Bible, I strongly encourage you to start there. Read the gospels, read about the life of Jesus. Here's why it's so important for you to read the gospels and for you to study the life of Jesus. Here's why, because you will not follow someone you do not know. And truthfully, this whole thing is about following Jesus. And it's hard for me to follow somebody that I don't know. And so I wanna encourage you to read the life of Jesus in the first four gospels. Because when you do, here's something that you will notice. You will notice that Jesus, he seemed to live his everyday life at a totally different pace than everybody else around him. Not only did he leave did he live a completely different pace than you and I? He lived a completely different pace, it seemed, from even all the people that were around him in the first century. Let me show you some examples. I'm gonna give you just four examples, and, and we don't have time to teach these passages, but I want you to see how different his pace was. Matthew chapter eight, in verse 23 and 24, here's where we'll start. It says, then Jesus... He got into the boat, and that boat, it started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus, 
was sleeping. And it goes on to say that everybody else that was in that boat was freaking out. But Jesus, while everybody else is freaking out, is literally taking a power nap. It's like this totally different pace. Let me show you another example. Mark chapter one, verse 35 through 37. Here's what it says. It says, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. That's that word eremos, the quiet place. He went to his quiet place to pray, to be with God. And then it says, later, Simon and the other disciples went out to find him. So they went to Jesus. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Now, everyone was looking for Jesus because Jesus had just done a lot of really cool Jesus-y type stuff. If you read right before that, Jesus, he had just preached a bomb sermon and he had just healed a whole bunch of people and he had cast out some evil spirits. And it's like the disciples were telling him, Jesus, you've got to get back out there. Like the people want you, Jesus, you're trending. Like we, you gotta get back out there. Everybody is, is looking for you. Like Jesus, we need to ride this wave of momentum. God is doing some really cool things. And the very next verse, I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, Jesus replies, well, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. That's why I came. By the way, that is Jesus for no. <laughs> They're like, Jesus, we got to ride this momentum. God's doing some big things. We got to get back out there. He's like, nah, like let's, I, I feel like we need to go somewhere else. He says, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to do that. Everybody is zigging. I'm zagging, baby. <laughs> and then in John chapter eight, here's another example. John chapter eight, one through eight. Says Jesus, he returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd, exposing her, humiliating her. Says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now just pause for a moment. I know we read stories like this in the Bible, but I want you to imagine what it was like right there in that moment. Like let's practice some empathy for a moment and put yourself there. Imagine how intense of a moment that that was. Imagine how emotional that moment was. And then what was Jesus doing in that very intense moment? Verse six says they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Highly emotional moment. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he kind of drops his proverbial mic there. 
Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. So this very intense moment where emotions were running high. What is Jesus doing? He's doodling in the dirt. (laughs) John chapter 11. Let me show you one more. It says in verse 1, it says that a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, you got to understand, these were not strangers. These were not people that Jesus didn't know. Jesus encountered a ton of people that he did not have a personal relationship with that were begging him to heal them. But this wasn't one of those moments. This was somebody that Jesus was actually close with. This was some of his close friends. And then it says in verse four, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved all them, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, after a couple days, he said to his disciples, all right, let's go to Judea. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's urgent. Everybody says, Jesus, you've got to do this right now. These are people you love and care about and they're sick. And Jesus is like, well, let's just wait around a couple days. No big deal. See, over and over again, it's like Jesus was operating on a totally different pace than everybody around him. He was not rushed, not frantic. He was flexible. I love that he was always present. He was okay with interruptions. He was consistently prioritizing the important over the urgent. And listen, please don't miss this. Here's why this is so important, church. Please get this. It's a rhythm in his life. Listen, we are called to follow that Jesus. Come on, won't you poke somebody beside you that's high strung and just tell them, like, by the way, that's all of us, so go ahead, poke us all, okay? We are called to follow that Jesus who lived that type of life, who had that type of pace. So the big question that I have that maybe that you have is so what does it look like for us to live like Jesus, to have his pace in 2023? Because if you remember this in week two, I told you that following Jesus is like the old school WWJD bracelets. Remember that? I told you like essentially that's what following Jesus is. It's taking this approach where you say, what would Jesus do in every area of your life? And then you actually do those things. By the way, we gave those away. If you want one, we still have some that are at the info area today on your way out. Go by. We'd love to give you one of those bracelets just as a way to remember like this is what this means. But truthfully, I think a more helpful question is not necessarily what would Jesus do? It's this question, what would Jesus do if he were me? Now that doesn't make as good of a bracelet. <laughs> That'd be like a super long bracelet, like W-W-J-D-I-H-W-M. Like, no, like that's like, is that, is that code? Is that internet code? Like what is that? Is that the password, the automatic password that creates, you know, like, no, it wouldn't be as cool of a, but it's asking 
what would Jesus do if he were me? If he had my job, if he had my career, if he had my income, my relationship status, my marriage, my kids, if he were my age, if he were living in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the United States of America in 2023, like what would Jesus do if he were me with the modern pace and the luxuries of life? What would he do with having smartphones and the internet and social media? Now, before we answer that question, let me take you to Bible school real fast, okay? Um, because when you, you read the Bible, there's really two important theological terms when it comes to studying the Bible. And the first one is this word exegesis. And it's this theological word that means like studying the Bible and asking what was the original meaning. Because the truth is when you read the Bible, listen, that was written by a specific person to a specific person at a specific time for a specific reason under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so like exegesis is trying to understand that. It's trying to understand, okay, what was the original meaning whenever this was written? But there's another theological word when studying the Bible, and that is this word hermeneutics. And hermeneutics, here's what that means. It means studying the Bible and asking, how does this apply today? Because the truth is, even though many of these words were penned thousands and thousands of years ago, the Bible says that it is alive and active. In other words, that it's still speaking today. This is not an ancient book. This is a book that was written years ago that is still speaking to us today, that we can still live our lives by, that we can still be able to line up our lives to everything that is in this book, and that is hermeneutics. It's saying, okay, I've learned the exegesis of this, so now it's how does this actually apply to my life today? So with that Bible school context, let's get hermeneutical. Like, let me share some very, like, some practical, like, how do we apply this into our lives? And so I want to share with you some practicalities of pace, some very practical ideas that can actually help slow down your pace of life. Now, again, this is hermeneutics. So here's what that means. None of this will be in the Bible. I won't be able to give you book, chapter, and verse because the Bible was written in the first century and these practicalities of pace like apply directly to modern day life in the 21st century. So I cannot find a book, chapter, and verse about how to use your smartphone. I can't. Like that's, I can't. They didn't exist. But here's what these things are. These things are wisdom. And the Bible is very clear about how we should approach wisdom. In fact, in Proverbs chapter, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. And then in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, it tells us why. Because getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do. So here are five practicalities of pace, five things that will help you slow down your pace of life. And let me just go ahead and say, I am not good at all of these. In fact, 
There are some of these, do not model your life after me in some of these things. Some of these, I am awful, but I can tell you this, I'm trying to get better. I feel so much conviction after studying all this stuff the last six weeks that there are some things that I need to implement. So I'm with you. Sometimes my life is out of control. So these are some things that can help with the, the, the day one through six, our, our pace and help slow down our life. And I'm gonna go through these pretty fast. Here's number one, is drive the speed limit. Whoa, whoa, okay. Now you're stepping on my toes, pastor. Drive the speed limit, what are you talking about? Yeah, drive the speed limit. Not five over. Not whatever the flow of traffic is, just get in that flow and just, just ride it out. Not talking about that, but let me make this clear. Definitely not below, okay? <laughs> Definitely not below. Like that's, that's just wrong. People will not like you. Uh, you do not wanna go below the speed, mit, speed limit. But you'll be amazed, I've been doing this this week. One, you'll be amazed how many people pass you. Uh, but then second thing, you'll be amazed how much like this will actually slow down your pace of life. Just hit that cruise control at the government approved speed limit and go, baby. So drive the speed limit. Here's number two. Be 10 minutes early to everything. Oh, can I get an amen from church, okay? Be 10 minutes early to everything. Had a coach. Uh, growing up, I played, I played high school basketball and baseball, and one of those coaches, he would always say, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Yeah. And he tried to implement this principle into my life. And really what I've learned is that this is a really great discipline for creating some much-needed margin in your life and it will keep you from being so rushed and here's what inevitably happens is that there could be a car crash or there could be something and then all of a sudden that puts so much more stress and anxiety on your life because now you got to drive way faster or now you may be late to that really important thing but if you try to create this discipline your pace is slower so that if nothing happens you're good but if something does happen you got some margin to be able to help with that. So I promise that you will not feel as maxed out if you implement this. You'll be amazed how much this will slow down your pace of life. Okay, that's the second. Here's number three, practicalities of pace. Number three, set a time limit for social media. So let me explain this. Set a time limit for social media. Um, if you're not on social media, well done. Ignore this one, zone out for the next two minutes and then we'll, we'll pick it back up with number four. The average person spends two hours a day statistically on social media alone. So if you do the math, which I did this week, that's 14 hours a week on average, two, that's 2.3 days a month, and 27.6 days a year. So essentially February, you spend every year on social media. Now, I, I, I think that if we were just to take an honest poll here, I think that we can all agree that there are probably better ways to spend your time than a month of your life every year until you die on social media. And by the way, let me make this clear. I'm not anti-social media. 
but I am anti-social media consuming and destroying your life. And so one of the most practical things that I can encourage you to do is set a time limit on social media. Maybe that's just, okay, we're going to take it from two to one hour a day. Or maybe it's 30 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. Or I'm only going to check it at these specific times. Maybe you want to take it off your phone and only check it on your actual computer. That will change how much time you just mindlessly scroll. So set a time limit. Now, if you have an iPhone, what's great is that you can even program your phone to actually do that. If you don't have an iPhone, I don't have a clue what you can do with that. So... um, (laughs) Uh, I really don't. Uh, and so an, another idea, uh, and this is something that I'm actually thinking about doing, is I'm thinking about, and, and, and I, I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about taking one day a week where just I'm completely off of it. Uh, I just spent the last 21 days of prayer and fasting, and that was one of the things I fasted, and I found that my life is better. I found that, 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 that my life is, is more calm. I found that my life is not constantly checking and doing and this and that. Uh, uh. And so like, I found that, that, that it's, it's harder and harder for me to come back. So that, part of me is just like, well, what if I just did that one day a week and just totally disconnected? So set a daily time limit for social media. You'd be amazed how much this will slow down your pace of life. Here's number four, practicalities of pace. Number four, take all notifications off of your phone. Take it off. Some of you, if you don't know what notifications are, it's the dings. Okay, take the dings off your phone every time that it, that it, that it dings at you. Like, take all those bad boys off your phone. Like, let me just, let me just ask some rhetorical questions. Do not answer, okay? Uh, do you really need to be notified every time you get an email? The second you get an email. Do you really, really need that? Do you really need every time that you get a new, you really need to know every time you get a new like, a new comment, a new direct message, or a new follower on Instagram? Do you really need to know every single time that there's breaking news? Do you really need to know every time there's a new YouTube video or sports score or Nordstrom sale? <laughs> Let me just go ahead and tell you, the answer is no. I promise you that that is not making your life any better. Because here's what happens. Those notifications, they only interrupt what you're doing. And they subconsciously communicate to you that they're the most important thing. That they're more important than anything else that you're doing. So whenever I come, then you have to stop what you're doing and you have to be able to look at that. And you'll be amazed at how less efficient you are as a human if you're stopping every few seconds whatever you're doing to look at that. And so I'm telling you, it will slow down your pace of life. And here's the truth. You're going to see it eventually anyway. You will. Because you care about it. And that's cool. I'm not saying don't care. I'm just saying take the notifications off. Okay? And here's the last one. Practicality of pace. Is use the do not disturb feature on your phone. The, the, the D&D feature. It's an amazing feature. Um, that will help you focus, remove distractions, and ultimately slow down your pace of life. And I recommend using it at work when you got to focus. I do it all the time, every single week, every time I'm preparing and writing and studying. I do that. I recommend using it at night, like essentially put your phone to sleep 
There's even scientific studies that talk about once you stay after a certain point, it's even not good for your quality of sleep and your mentality. And so like you can use that at night. And then I recommend using it during your quiet time. When you spend time with God, it'll help you stay focused and locked in. You will be amazed at how much this will slow down your pace of life. And here's why. Okay, those are five things. I hope that that's helpful. I tried to think about what are some practicalities of pace, some things that I think line up with the pace of how Jesus lived his life. What would he do if he were us living in 2023? What are the hermeneutics of this? But, the, but, but here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand why these things are so important. Here's the principle behind the practicalities is that the pace of your life often determines the condition of your soul. And that's why it is so important to look at the pace that you are running each and every day because it will determine the condition of your soul. Now, before we put a bow on this series, um, I feel like we cannot in this series without asking one last question. To me, it's the most important question. To me, it's the question that I've been asking for the last six weeks as I've been studying and preparing. And I thought that this is how we need to end this series. Because we need, as a church family, we've been thinking about this, studying this, looking at the life of Jesus, that we need to ask ourselves this question. Why is this normal life normal? Why is it so easy for us to drift into a lifestyle that psychologists call a disease of lifestyle where it's full of busyness and always in a rush and always maxed out and in a hurry, this out of control pace that leaves us consistently tired, worn out and exhausted? Like what is at the heart of this issue? What is at the very root of this issue? Why is this normal life normal. And I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this. And here's what I feel like God has shown me over this series. At the very heart of this issue, that if you stripped away everything else, what's at the very core of this issue and this normal way of life? And I think that there's many layers, but here's what I felt like God spoke to me as I prepared. It's this, it's discontentment that that is at the very core and at the heart behind why we end up living this life is because we find ourselves always discontent, always feeling like we want more, like never having enough. And the truth is we live in a world where we are conditioned to be discontent. Like our culture feeds our discontentment. In fact, do you know that we see on average every single day over 5,000 advertisements a day? And every single one of those advertisements all have the same message in some way, shape, or form. And here's the message. The more you have, the happier you'll be. That if you just had that product, that technology, that car, that house, that relationship, that family, that friend group, that vacation, that outfit, that job, that amount of money, if you had that, then you would be happy. That's the, that's the message of culture. I got an email this week 
from a nutrition supplement company that said, here are the two supplements that you need to be the healthiest version of you. I was like, really? Like, like that's it. That's what I need. If I had that, then I'd, 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 I'd reach it. But here, here's the truth. The truth is, it's never enough that no matter what you get, how many of you know that there's always more? There's always, like no matter how much you accumulate, no matter how much you get in this world, there's always something that is just out of reach. And that's what we're, that's the message of culture. And on top of that, there's this thing called social media that literally takes our discontentment to a whole nother level. It literally takes our discontentment and throws gasoline on that fire because you and I are constantly comparing your life to other people's life. Your marriage, your family, your kids to their marriage and their family and their kids, your body to their body, your social life to their social life, your vacations to their vacations which leaves us in this constant state of discontent thinking, if only I could have what they have. Even though the truth is you're comparing your normal everyday life that you see each and every second of the day to their highlight reel, to their filtered everything that they only want people to see lives. And this week I saw a definition of contentment that I thought was spot on. And here's that definition. It says, true contentment is being okay with just being. It doesn't mean that your goals diminish in value, nor does it mean that you're excused from improving your situation. That's not what we're talking about. It means that you're at peace with what has been, what is, and what will be. So the big question is, church, how can we experience that? Because I think when I read it, and maybe when you read, read it, there's something inside of your soul that's like, I want that. How can I tap into that? How can I experience that? Well, the Bible actually tells us in Philippians chapter four, when the apostle Paul says this in verse, Philippians 4, 11 and 12, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And by the way, I love that it says that he learned. Here's why, because that shows that at some point he wasn't. He learned this. And if Paul could learn this, what he's saying is that you can too. Is that you can learn, like he said, how to be content with whatever you have. He says you can learn the secret of living in every situation. And so I'm like, okay, Paul, how? Like, how can I experience that? Like, Paul, will you please tell me how to experience that level of contentment? Like, what's your secret? And the very next verse, here's what he says. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives 
me strength. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And please understand that the context of this famous verse is not running a marathon, it's not getting a new job, it's not beating cancer. The context for this famous verse is contentment. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that true, lasting contentment that you are desperately looking for, that your soul desperately needs, oh, that can only be found in Jesus. And I started thinking about that. And really, it's what we've been talking about this entire series, right? Is that the key to contentment is actually found in following Jesus, in living life His way, in having a relationship with Him, in giving Him our entire life, inviting Him in to every part of our life, and saying, will you lead me in every single area of our life? Like getting to know Him and then implementing that, what would Jesus do? in every single area of our life. Because the truth is everything in this world, everything else will leave you discontent. But when you give your life to Jesus and you make the decision to follow him, to become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, that when you do that in every single area of your life, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even at times when you disagree, that when you do that, you can tap in to this God-given, much-needed contentment. Let me put it this way. Is that when we do that, we're gonna find a brand new way how to be human. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And before we end, let's just take some time to hear from God. And I would love for you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, would you take a moment and just pray this prayer? Would you just say, God, what are you saying to me today? Will you just ask him, God, what are you speaking to me? Not what are you speaking to somebody else, but ask him, open up your entire life to him. Open up your, your, your schedule, open up your mind, open up your thoughts, open up your emotions. Open up your relationships. There's no area of your life that right now that we're not allowing God to speak into. And ask him, what are you saying to me? Maybe ask him this, like what does my response need to be to this message? I think this is one of those messages where our Sundays should really affect our Mondays. And maybe there's something that God is speaking to you practically about your pace of life. Maybe you can implement one of those or multiple of those practicalities of pace. Maybe you can start doing that in your everyday life to kind of slow down your pace. But maybe you're here and you're always discontent. Like there's something inside of you that is searching so bad for contentment, but you haven't been able to find it. And no matter what you do, nothing brings that part of your soul contentment. And I'll say this again, true lasting contentment that you're desperately looking for, that your soul desperately needs can only be found in following Jesus. 
And we wanna give you that opportunity today. Maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've never given him your life or received the free gift of grace. Or maybe you're here and you have made that decision before in the past. Maybe at one time of your life, you made the decision to follow Jesus, but for whatever reason, you find yourself at church today and you feel so far from God. And today you're saying, man, I need to make that decision again. I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I need a fresh start today. And we want to give you that opportunity, whether it's for the first time or it's all over again. And we're not going to point you out or make you come forward or embarrass you in any way. All I want to do is lead you in a simple prayer in just a few seconds. And if you want to be included in that prayer, if that's today your decision and your next step, you know that before you do anything, before you figure out how to put your phone and do not disturb, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to make the decision to follow him for the first time or it's all over again. If you're here and that's you, I'm gonna ask you to be bold and take a step of faith with every eye closed. And would you raise your hand and say, would you include me in that prayer on the count of three? Raise that hand if you wanna be included in that prayer. One, two, three. If that's you, raise it up. I got you. It's awesome. Proud of you, proud of you. Anybody else? Proud of you, proud of you. It's great. Anybody else? Include me in that prayer. You can put your hand down and just pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. I'm sorry that there's areas of my life or my whole life where I have not followed you or I stopped following you. Will you right now, will you come live inside me and will you change me? Will you make me brand new? I repent. I change my mind. I change my direction. And in ways that I wasn't following you, now I follow you. I surrender everything to you. I give you my whole life. And today, I receive your grace. I receive your forgiveness. And I receive your fresh start. And today, I choose to follow you in your ways for the rest of my life. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his life. Thank you for him showing us these rhythms of grace. And God, we commit to following Jesus. We thank you, not only for his life, but we thank you and we praise you for his death and most of all for his resurrection that saves us, that frees us, that redeems us, that gives us life and purpose. God, we thank you today for Jesus. And it's through the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said a loud amen. Amen. Church, come on. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.